Let's take our Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 4 this morning. This was a tough week for the control freaks. If you thought you were in control, the Lord reminded you this week that you weren't. And I'm talking to you, I'm preaching to myself this morning as well. Because I think all of us tend to struggle with that, trying to be in charge, trying to be in control, having a plan and trying to be able to work it out. This week, nothing that you planned worked out. You couldn't even go to the wall and turn the switch on and have the lights come on. If you turned your shower on, all you got at best probably was a dribble, or like me, you got nothing at all. And then when it did come back, it was this brown, nasty stuff coming out. You said, I don't even know if I want to get in there. Last night, I came up here to the church, and, and I was flushing toilets and running faucets so that when you came in, it wouldn't just be brown water sitting in the bottom of everything. I had a little bit of excitement with the toilet over here. I'm not as good of a plumber as Jeremiah, but I got a little tiny experience. I flushed one of these toilets over here, and it wouldn't stop flushing. It just kept, kept running. Yep, valve was stuck. It was dry or whatever because it hadn't been run all week because of not having water. So I'm hunting around. I found the screwdriver, and I went and tightened it up and closed the valve. And then I opened it back up, and the water stopped running. And then I flushed again, and it just kept on running. It got stuck again. So I fixed it again, and then finally it, it started working. And hopefully today the water's not just running off. But, you know, we had all kinds of crazy experiences this week. And I'm sure you could give testimony of that as well. I was looking back through my Facebook memories uh, yesterday. It was four years ago yesterday that we took possession of this building that we're in right now. Four years ago, and I maybe I'll go and share it on my Facebook page but so you can watch it. And it's me walking around giving a tour of the building. All of our kids have grown a lot in four years. They're in the video. But this building has changed dramatically in four years. This room was purple and gold four years ago. And there was a big Ark of the Covenant here on the wall behind me and a big crystal chandelier that hung down right here. Only it was off center. It was about right here. Those things bug me. That was one of the first things I did was get a pair of cutters and just go up and take that chandelier off the ceiling. Uh, you know, you go all the effort to hang a giant chandelier, you might as, might as well hang it in the middle of the room instead of like six inches off to the left. I also was really too tall for the chandelier. It hung down so low, I could almost touch it. it you know, the bottom of it hanged down about right here. Maybe it would make you pay better attention. Now, I don't know. A lot has changed. There were a lot of holes in the wall. We've, we've overcome the rats, the roaches, and the raccoons. And we had a raccoon living in the building. You can ask Billy about it. Billy and he were roommates for a while, <laughs> back when Billy lived here in this building, before he was married. That was one of his things. When he got married to Lisa, he said, i got to get my own place. <laughs> you don't want Lisa to have to sleep with the raccoons, too, and I know she's thankful. I have a picture of that raccoon, if you want to see it. We trapped it. Brother Winston let us borrow a, a trap. Do you even remember this? I don't know. Yeah. And we put it up above the ceiling with some tuna fish in there. And, and it took a few days, but we caught that raccoon. We actually caught him on a Wednesday night during the service. Back then, we were having services in that room over there that's now our fellowship hall. We hadn't even moved in here yet. And so 
uh, we could kind of hear them scrabbling around, and there weren't very many people back then on a Wednesday night. You know, there might have been 10 or 15 people here, and, uh, and we could hear him making a little bit of noise, and all, the, and all the guys were like, let's get him down. I said, let's wait till, till the people leave, and it's just the, the last few of us here, because I, I didn't want to scare off our new folks in the church, you know, as we caught the raccoon. And so we pulled him down, and there he was in that trap, big old raccoon. And he had been living in the ceiling here for a while, and from time to time he would fall through the ceiling. So you'd get up in the morning, and there'd be ceiling tiles all over the floor. And there was a big hole over here in the wall at that time, and he would fall through the ceiling, and then he'd run over and go up that hole in the wall and climb back up the wall. And uh, he was just living in here, having a good time. And he had a way to get out of the building as well. There were enough holes on the exterior of the building you could get out. And this was a nice, warm place for him to sleep. And so we had a lot of exciting things along the way. You know, everything was pretty filthy when we got the building. We did have 99 chairs that were donated to us. It's some of those purple chairs that are out there in the fellowship hall. Uh, the people that sold us the building said, we've left you 100 chairs. And I counted those chairs probably 100 times. And every time it was 99. So <laughs> they left us 99 chairs. You know, it's like the Bible story of the one that was lost, you know, the sheep. But, you know, we only had the 90 and 9 that were left here. That one chair, we have no idea where it went to, but it, it was not here. And a lot of exciting things along the way. You know, when things are starting, when things are new, it's just an adventure every day. Some of you have had a new baby in your family this past year, past few months, and it's just an adventure every day. You're just kind of trying to survive a little bit. This last week, for all of us, I think in one sense, people are just trying to survive and stay alive, you know, We're get some water, get some food. But often as things grow and as things develop, we tend to find ourselves getting comfortable, and we start to take control, right? We start to say, this is expected, I can count on this, and my, we start to build plans and have, get a direction and plan for our, our future, and we start to expect things to be a certain way. And then God brings things across our path to change those expectations and to remind us that He's the only one we can truly hope in and we can trust in. And to me, that was one of the great things that the Lord taught us this past week, or at least reminded us of this past week. You know, in Israel's history, you go way back in the Old Testament, it started out really as just a walk of faith, right? Abraham believed God. He left his hometown, Ur, and he traveled to a land that God was going to show him. God promised Abraham a, a land. He promised him descendants, uh, nations. He promised him a blessing. We know that blessing to be Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Throughout Israel's history, you can read over and over of God's miraculous power and His protection of His people. As He set them free from Egypt, as He led them through the wilderness and they crossed through the Red Sea on dry ground, as they stood at the base of Mount Sinai and heard God tell them that, they, that He would be their God and that they would be His people. As they traveled through the wilderness and saw water come out of a rock and manna fall from heaven and the quail be provided and their shoes didn't wear out for 40 years as they walked around in the wilderness. 
Then they walked through dry ground into Canaan across the Jordan River. By the way, it was the Jordan River at flood stage. And God parted the river and let them walk through on dry ground. Then they made it into the promised land and they come upon the city of Jericho. God helped them. God destroyed this city literally by His people just marching around the wall and then shouting and blowing trumpets. You know, God did all of these things and I could go on and on and speak about God's miraculous power and His protection over His people. But over the years, the people began to take things for granted. They began to try to exercise their own control and over their own dominion over the things that God had done. They forgot God and began to trust in themselves and they turned to the idols around them. As you continue to trace the story of Israel's history, we come to the time of Christ. By this time, the Israelites were under the Roman authority. In fact, they were so much under the Roman rule that the Roman government selected who the high priest was, would be. Annas was the high priest back in just the few years after the birth of Christ until about A.D. 15, and then his son Caiaphas came to power. And we know Annas and Caiaphas as leaders there in the Sanhedrin when Jesus was brought to trial and then crucified. In fact, when you go and study the history of Annas and his family, you find out that he and a number of his sons and even his son-in-law were high priests in Israel. There's a whole series of them. So for about 60 years, one family controlled the high priesthood of Israel and they were all selected by the Roman government. They were part of the Sanhedrin. They were known as Sadducees. Someone said they're called Sadducees because they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. Now, that's not why they were called Sadducees. That's just an easy way to remember the term Sadducee. But it is true. They didn't believe in the resurrection. And it was this group, this Sanhedrin, that 71 or so of the religious leaders that had put Jesus on trial. And then in Acts chapter 4, we see that they put Peter and John on trial. It really came down to control. They wanted to be in charge. Now, ultimately, politically, the Romans were in charge. But they had given, the Romans had given some amount of control and authority to the religious leaders, so they exercised whatever authority they could. And Peter and John, if you remember from Acts chapter 3, had just seen God do an amazing miracle of healing a lame man. And that lame man was walking and leaping and praising God. Everybody saw it. Everybody was excited about it. In the book of Acts, we started with 120 believers there gathered in the upper room, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came as was promised in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. When Jesus said, but ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in all Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The Holy Spirit came, and in Acts chapter 2 they went out, and Peter preached on Pentecost, 
And the Bible tells us that 3,000 people got saved. The gospel was going forward. The church was beginning. Things were really looking up. Acts chapter 3, we see the healing of this lame man there in the temple. But in Acts chapter 4, all of a sudden, persecution comes. There's an interesting cycle that takes place in the book of Acts. Prayer, power, preaching, and persecution. And that cycle seems to repeat itself over and over again. I think it's interesting how in our own lives we tend to see that kind of process repeating itself. There's prayer. There's calling out to God. We sense God's power and God's leading. We declare the truth and we're excited about it. But don't be surprised when the persecution comes. When things come and begin to stand in the way of what you thought was really positive and what was going forward. That's what was taking place in Acts chapter 4. This morning, I want you to consider with me how Peter and John were able to go forward in the face of persecution. How did they continue on and not stop? It has been said the strength of your character can be measured by what it takes to stop you. What does it take to stop you? To make you give up? Did the events of this past week cause you to lose faith in God? Would a law making the worship of God illegal stop you from worshiping God? Would the loss of personal wealth or a change of your plans stop you? Look with me at Acts chapter 4 and I'll begin reading in verse 1 as we pick up the story here. Says, and as they spake unto the people, this is Peter and John, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, and being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They were upset that they were preaching about the resurrection. Remember, they, these are the same guys that crucified Jesus. And then when Jesus did rise again. They tried to lie about it and cover it up. In fact, they paid other people to go around and say that Jesus hadn't really risen from the dead, that his disciples had just stolen away his body. And so now as Peter and John are preaching the resurrection, they're grieved by this. And it says in verse 3, and they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. It's towards the evening. They grab Peter and John. They throw them in jail for the night. How be it? Many of them which heard the word believed. And the number of the men was about 5,000. So remember, 3,000 get saved on Pentecost. Now it says there's 5,000 men. Luke inserts that word so that we know this doesn't even count the women and the children who had accepted Christ as their Savior by this time. The gospel's going forward. God's work is getting done. You can put God's people in prison, but you can't stop God's power to save souls. God allowed Peter and John to be put in prison, but God didn't stop doing His work to change people's lives. Peter and John are thrown into prison for the night. 
But Luke says, many of them which heard the word believed. Often we look at our lives and we say, well, if things are difficult for me, then that must mean that God is not working. No, God is always working. When things aren't going your way, it doesn't mean things aren't going God's way. Because everything God does is for His purpose. And God has control over all things that take place in this universe that He created. Verse 5, And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. This is the description of this Sanhedrin, this gathering of 71. And they would have formed up in some sort of semicircle where they could have seen each other and they began to talk as they put Peter and John in the middle there of the semicircle and they put them on trial. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have ye done this? You know, by the way, this was biblical that they asked this question. Because back in the Old Testament, the Bible, God had told the children of Israel that when a miracle was performed, they were to gather together to make sure whether or not this was truly a real miracle and whether or not it was from God. It was how they were to test their prophets and test those who claimed to be doing works of God and make sure they truly were works of God. But these guys were not interested really in seeing a work of God. Rather, they were interested in maintaining control in their own power over the situation. Verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if this day we be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means is made whole? I like Peter's question. So you're asking us about this lame man here and how he was made whole? Don't you see what happened to this guy? He once was lame and now he's walking and leaping and praising God. We'll see it later on in the chapter, but you can look down and see it right now. If you go down to uh, verse 22, I believe it is. It says, For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. How were Peter and John able to go forward in the face of persecution? I would say, first of all, they were able to go forward in the face of persecution because of the power that motivated them to go forward. This was the power of the Holy Spirit that it had been promised in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. This was the power of the Holy Spirit that had come upon them that enabled them to be able to raise this man up so that he could walk again. This was the power of the Holy Spirit that they had received in Acts chapter 2 and enabled them to preach the message of Jesus Christ. And this was the power of the Holy Spirit that continued in their answer to the religious leaders. The Bible says it very well in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them. It is only by God's Spirit that we are enabled to do the work of God. Without the power of God, we are nothing. The prophet Zechariah said this, 
not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. We are used to having power. Whether it's electric power in the wall, whether it's water pressure that we turn on, whether it's the power to plan out our day or to get in our vehicle and go where we want, to pick up the phone and talk to whom we want, to control the TV with a remote control. We like having power. But there is no real power except that which comes from God. Peter here was just as the Sadducees called him, an ignorant, unlearned fisherman. And he stood up and declared the truth of who God was and what God had done, and he did it in the power of the Holy Spirit. My friend, you are not enough. I am not enough. We cannot do what needs to be done in our walk with the Lord. You can't keep going in your own strength. The only way to persevere, the only way to continue forward in the face of persecution is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we're trying to live in our own strength, putting on our own show, it's not going to be good enough. There are a lot of people that try to put on a show when it comes to their Christian life. You can't put on a big enough smile to get you through some of the things that will come in life. Your discipline, your stick-to-itness, your inner fortitude is not enough to get you through everything that life brings. And, and that doesn't even count the persecution that comes, the pushback. I mean, up to this point, they've been working, they've seen God's power do great things, and now all of a sudden the pushback comes. Maybe you're there in your spiritual life right now. Like, I've trusted in God, I'm following Him, and all of a sudden I'm at a point in my life where I just feel like everything's pushing against me and I don't know where to go. I don't know how to go forward. You cannot go forward except in the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot be a faithful witness for Christ without the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot have the strength to stand for Christ without the power of the Holy Spirit. We see the power of the Holy Spirit gave them great boldness. Look at verse 13 of our chapter here in Acts chapter 4. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You see, when you walk in the Spirit's power, you are a testimony to the fact that you have been with Jesus. When people look at your life, do they say, wow, that person must have been with Jesus. Jesus has completely changed them. That was the testimony of Peter and John. The people marveled and said they had been with Jesus. How about verse 31 in the same chapter here? says, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Boldness. 
I don't think there's a single person that I've ever met in my whole life that feels strong enough all the time to be able to declare the gospel and to stand for Christ. Even the most, even the boldest person that you look at and you say, man, they, they just seem to always be standing for Christ. If you'll sit down and talk with them, you know what you'll find out? They feel really weak inside. Sometimes it can be easy to look at somebody else and say, oh, I just could never be like them. No, they're probably a lot more like you than you think they are. The strength that comes for the believer is a strength that's found in the Holy Spirit. It is a confidence in the Word of God that comes as we experience the power of God doing His work to change each and every one of us to be more like Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's power is received at salvation. But the Holy Spirit's power is made evident as we continue to walk and continue to stand upon the truth of the Word of God. When you're struggling, run back to God's Word. When you don't have the answers, remember the promises of God. When you don't know where to turn, ask God for His power to give you direction. These men continued forward in the face of persecution because they lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't know what that power is like, I would invite you to come to Jesus today and trust Him as your Savior. Because if you're saved, you can too experience the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And you can say, I know I'm saved, but I don't, I, I don't feel His power then ask God to renew your relationship with Him and come back to the truth of His Word and begin to live in obedience to the Word of God. We see them going forward in the power of the Holy Spirit, but secondly, notice the promise that encouraged these men to go forward. Peter speaks of this promise in verses 10 through 12 when he says, Be it known unto you all... And to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified. That's pretty incredible boldness on Peter's part. Because remember, Peter himself denied Christ three times. Peter had a part in the crucifixion of Jesus too. You and I had a part in the crucifixion of Jesus. It was our sin. That put him on the cross. Whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead. I love the contrast there. You crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. How do you think those religious leaders felt after they crucified Jesus? We finally won. He's done. But God wasn't done. He rose from the dead three days later. This world thinks that they are going to stand against God. Even the devil continues to fight against him, but he's fighting a losing battle. It may look at times like he's won, but remember, God raised him from the dead. <laughs> you may think you've done everything to stop the work of God, but God cannot be stopped in his work. 
You crucified Him. God raised Him from the dead. Even by Him doth this man stand here before you whole. This lame man, he's here before you completely healed because the same power, the same God who had power to raise Jesus from the dead is the same God who had power to raise this lame man to walk again. What great promises we have. And we see this promise spoken of so clearly in verse 11 and 12. Verse 11 Peter is quoting from the Old Testament, Psalm 118, which was a promise of the coming Messiah, the coming Savior. And he says this, This is the stone, Jesus is the stone, which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. You and I might miss that and read past that. But he's saying this is the cornerstone, this is the foundation on which everything was built. Peter, this unlearned, ignorant fisherman, is quoting from Psalm 118 and pointing out to these religious, highly educated men, this one that you crucified, the one that God raised from the dead, he is the one who you can trust in. Can you read verse 12 with me out loud? Let's do that. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Jesus said, I am the door. Jesus said, I am the way. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. You walk in Him, you have light, but without Him, you're in darkness. He's the light, He's the way, He's the shepherd, He's the door, He's the great I Am. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the Word. He is our Savior. He is our friend. What a friend. These men were encouraged by the great promises of God through Jesus Christ in salvation. So what do you do when you face a a difficult time in your life? Do you go back and remember that it is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that you can continue on? Or do you go back and try to rework your plan and say, I'm just going to try harder? I would challenge you instead to just stop and pray and say, God, I need you. I'm trying in my own strength and it's not enough. I would challenge you to go back and be reminded of the promises of God. It's only through Jesus Christ that we have salvation. You didn't save yourself. You can't save yourself. A lot of people running around trying to save themselves. People patting themselves on the back. Well, I did a lot of nice things for other people. It's not enough to get you to God. A lot of people going around saying, well, I I grew up in a good home. I, I went to a church. 
It's not enough to get you to God. My good works outweigh my bad works. It's not enough to get you to God. Other people say, well, I'm definitely better than she is. Definitely better than he is. We'll find somebody else to compare ourselves to and make ourselves feel better about ourselves. You can't save yourself not by comparing yourself to anybody else. You can't save yourself by trusting in anyone else other than Jesus. Other than Jesus. These men were encouraged to continue forward because of the great promises of salvation. But the story doesn't stop here because now we've got our Sanhedrin gathered. Peter and John are on trial. They're pointing out that this lame man has been raised to walk again. But now the Sanhedrin has a response. Now when the, they saw the boldness, verse 13, of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Beholding the man which was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. We see the perseverance of these men in the face of persecution. And the first reason they persevered, I think, is because of the undeniable change that had taken place in the lame man's life. When God changes your life, it's undeniable. A lot of people trying to change their own lives and their own strength. I'll just turn over a new leaf, I'll, I'll try harder. That doesn't bring change, not lasting change. The testimony of this changed life was impossible to deny. A changed life is one of the greatest and most undeniable testimonies to the power of God. We love testimonies of changed lives here at Arise Baptist Church. There's... There's nothing more exciting than seeing God change somebody's life. Don't ever get over it. Don't ever get over what God did to change your life if you've trusted Him as Savior. Don't forget where you came from. Remember where He found you. In sinking sand, He lifted me. Hmm. When God changes you, you can't help but shout about it. About, tell everybody about it because He has changed you. Are you changed this morning? Or are you just going to go out and, mm, just like you came in? Oh, Christian, has God changed you? Maybe when you first got saved, you remembered it. You focused on it. You were excited about it. But now you kind of feel like, well, this is just who I am. This is how. But it's not who you were. Remember 
that you are what you are because of who you are in Christ. Not because of what you've done, but what He has done for you. This man was transformed. He was changed. He's walking and leaping when for 40 years he'd been unable to walk. That was a complete and undeniable change, and the religious leaders could not deny it. Now, the way I read this, it seems that if they could have denied it, they would have. But the only reason they didn't deny it was because so many people had already seen it. Look back with me at the passage that we just read. Verse 16, what should we do to these men for that indeed a notable miracle that hath been done by them is manifest. It's been seen to all them that dwell in Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. They tried to deny Jesus' resurrection because at first nobody had seen him or very few people had seen him. Now later he appeared to many, many people. It became more and more difficult for them to deny, but it didn't stop them from trying. Now they looked at this miracle that had taken place, and they said, so many people have already seen it. Now there's 5,000 believers. We can't deny it. So what are we going to do? Well, we'll threaten them. them. Don't go sharing this with anybody else. We live in a world today that does not want you to share your testimony. We've been told that you shouldn't talk about religion. Well, don't. Talk about your relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. Talk about what He's done to change you. The power of God to change a life is undeniable when it's your life that's been changed. Has He changed you? Has He made you a new creature like He promised? What has He done for you? Don't be afraid to share what Christ has done for you. That's what Peter and John say here later on. We can't help but share what we've seen and heard. All we're doing is telling you what we've experienced ourselves. The world would say, don't, don't tell anybody. That's private. Was it private that the man is now able to walk who'd been laying there lame for all those years? No, it was very public. Very public. Pastor Clayton used to always say, there's no such thing as secret discipleship. If it's real discipleship, it's not secret. When I asked Shandy to marry me, I didn't keep it a secret. I wanted everybody to know. In fact, I bought her a big old flashy ring so she could flash it around and show everybody. I want everybody to know she's taking it. She's going to marry me. That definitely raised my status in the world that Shandy would marry me. You know, how much more are we lifted up because Jesus saved us? I, I look around this room. Every man in here knows he married above his, what he deserved. I mean, have you looked in the mirror, men? Yeah, we're not much to look at. She loves you anyway. Isn't that a blessing? They couldn't deny it because they saw this man who had been lame and now he was able to walk and everybody had seen it. Don't keep it a secret if God has changed your life. 
Don't be afraid to share it. Don't be afraid to, well, I don't know how to talk about it. I, I don't have any problem telling people that this is my wife because I'm thankful for her. I, I, I want everybody else to know about it. The only reason you keep quiet about something is because you're ashamed by it. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. They said, we can't deny it because everybody's seen it. You can press forward in the face, yes, even of great persecution and challenge as you share your testimony of a changed life. That's one of the reasons I love coming to church. I get to see what God's doing in other people's lives too and not just my own. You know, it's contagious. It's contagious when you share what God's doing in your life. And I get to hear about what God's done for you. I was looking again at some memories that popped up on my Facebook feed. And it was six years ago that Dustin and Kylie Cotner got baptized at the Hillcrest Baptist Church in Logansport, Indiana, where our family had the privilege of serving for a few years before we came here. Dustin and Kylie one day, they'd been married for a couple of years and God gave them their first child. They brought this little baby home from the hospital and they said, um, we don't know how to raise a baby. <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. And Dustin said, maybe we should go to church. And so they made a list of all the churches in town. And they crossed off the church where they got married because the pastor who married them said, listen, most marriages don't work out, so uh, just, you know, I don't have a whole lot of hope for you either. Now, I want to encourage you, this was not a pastor who preached from the Bible either. This was just somebody who was called a pastor who had a church, but it was not a church that preached Jesus. So they said, well, we don't want to visit that. And they had a list of some, you know, however many churches were in this little town. And they said, well, where are we going to go first? Well, the Lord, in all of His plans, just happened to place them where they lived, literally within walking distance of our church. So they looked over and said, well, why don't we start with that one? They had no connection to the church. They didn't know anybody there. And one Sunday morning, out of the blue, they walked into church, this couple that didn't know anything about anything when it came to the things of the Lord. They had their new little baby, and I remember our pastor, he gets a lot wilder and crazier than I do, and you know, he's preaching, and it's very normal for him in the course of a sermon to laugh and cry and, you know, shout and get it. That's just who he is. And uh, I, I get very emotional, but it, it's hard for it to get out sometimes. It, it kind of stays in, but it's in there. I want you to know I'm excited. It just doesn't always come out. I don't know. It's just that, you know, being a cover or something, we're just kind of stoic people. <laughs> But trying to cover, every, I don't know what it is. But Brandon's not that way. He's, whoo, he gets excited. So this couple, this new couple comes into church, and there's Brandon laughing and crying and, you know, preaching somehow through all that. And afterward, they thought, this is a little strange. And so they left, not really sure about it. But Kylie, Dustin's wife, looked over and said, we ought to at least give them another try. You know, everybody deserves a second chance. So he came back the next Sunday, and that Sunday, people, you know, they were able to connect with a few folks, and they started coming anyway. Over the course of a few weeks, 
they trusted in Christ as their Savior. Dustin's a pipe fitter, uh, but he's a brilliant guy. He just finished building his own house a couple months ago, actually. They just moved into their new house, which isn't right down the street from the church. I think perhaps maybe God wanted them to live right down the street. In fact, if you met Dustin today, if you were to walk into church at Hillcrest, he'd greet you. He's one of the deacons there now, six years later. You see, when God saved Dustin, God changed him. He went from a guy who just liked to party and have a good time to a guy who all of a sudden wanted to know more about God. He began to read his Bible every day. In fact, he, he told me he was reading two or three hours a day. It, it was just a couple months later, he sent me this long email, and, and in the email he was describing why he needed to be baptized. Now remember, this guy had just been saved a few months. And he writes out this email, just to, and it was full of scripture that he'd been reading and studying. And he was full of questions, and we were working through the continue book that some of you have been going through. And he's growing in the Lord, and he's learning things. And he, he writes this long email, and I shared it with the other deacons in the church. And a couple of them, their, their jaw just dropped wide open. One of them said, I think he knows more about baptism than I do. He was a man who was hungry for the word of God. He was changed. His wife began to grow in the Lord, and she began to change. And God just began to do a wonderful work and has continued to do a work in that family. They'd been saved two years, so four years ago now. He calls me up because we had just moved here to Houston to start a Rise Baptist Church. And he said, we want to come down and help you with the church for, for a week. That'd be great. There was another group from the church coming down, but Dustin said, we can't ride with them because uh, we have a wedding with the family, and so we can't ride the bus with everybody else. He said, but I'm going to ask God if he would supply so that we could drive down in our vehicle. They didn't have a lot of money at that time. God provided, and they were able to get in their van, so they went to the family wedding. Mind you, by this time, this is a, a young couple. They've got two little baby boys. Both still, one in, both in car seats, both still riding in the stroller. And they get in their van after the wedding in Indiana and they drive all the way through the night, all the way down to Houston, just to spend a week helping to get a Rise Baptist Church started. And during that week, as they were out visiting house to house, they walked up to a house and in the back of the garage was a, a Notre Dame football flag. Dustin being from Logansport, which is right down the road, just an hour and a half or so away from South Bend, Indiana, where Notre Dame is located, he recognized the flag, and he walked up and started talking to the guy. He said, that's a Notre Dame flag. How did you end up down here? And Matt Tesler began to talk to him. And Matt and Cindy started coming. I just talked to Matt this week. Amen. You know, they, they haven't been able to come because of COVID and things like that, but God's still working in their lives. And, and it was... Just a few months after that, that Hurricane Harvey hit. And Cindy calls me and says, I'm working with The Avenue. They're a, a nonprofit here in town that helps people with housing and assistance. And they were helping people after Hurricane Harvey. And she said, we have people coming from a neighborhood that haven't seen anybody or any help. Red Cross hasn't been there. FEMA hasn't been there. Nobody's been there to help. And I said, well, send me the address. We'll go over there. And we took a little crew of people, and we went over to Teasdale Street. And you know who lives on Teasdale? Larry Boyd. That's how we met Brother Larry. Good talk, 
And then this morning in the early service, Ken and Kathy Rembert were here. You know the first people that Ken and Kathy Rembert met at this church? Larry Boyd. They drove by just kind of looking for a church, and Larry happened to be here. And we showed them around, invited them, and they've been here ever since. I don't think they'd mind me sharing this with you. When they came to our church, they told me up front, now we want you to know we're looking for a church, but we're planning to visit three or four churches before we make up our decision, make up our mind. This is the only church they ever visited. Some of you are in the same boat. When God changes somebody's life, it's undeniable. Don't be afraid to share what God has done for you. God might be ready to use you to reach somebody else and point them to Jesus. You know, that, I love that story, but it's not over yet. Because those people are still here. Dustin and Kylie are still serving the Lord up in Indiana. They were here for one week. They're walking around a neighborhood pushing two babies in a stroller. They gave up a whole week of their life to do that. I'm sure thankful they did. You see, these men were able to continue on in their service to the Lord to go forward, even in the face of persecution, because a life change, when it's been changed by God, is undeniable. The desire of the Sanhedrin was then to hide the testimony of the power of God. There will always be those who try to minimize and explain away the power of God. I've seen it over and over, even in our church in just its brief four-year history. God will provide for something and we'll say, well, look at all this. And so, well, yeah, I mean, but it's because you're friends with so-and-so or because this worked out or just... You know, stop trying to explain away the work of God. Let's just give God glory for what He's done. We are so blessed. You know, this week as people's pipes were breaking stuff, I was calling men in our church, hey, can you help so-and-so? Hey, do you have this part? Why? Because God's brought those people here. So I don't look at it and say, well, you know, we just have an advantage because we have all these things. We only have them because God gave them to us. Susan texted Shandy about a lady that she works with at school, I think, or somebody in your class that needed a jump start, and she lives in spring. So I called Ryan and said, you live up that way. Can you go help her? And Ryan, I'm on it. He went over and jump-started her car. You say, well, you know, that's just because people know people. No, that's because God put these people together to do this work to help people. We could go on. Let's not explain away what God is doing. The power of a changed life is undeniable. The Sanhedrin tried to cover it up. They tried to hide it. Don't let fear or embarrassment or threats keep you from sharing the truth. Be a witness in good times and bad. You can go forward when others would try and stop you. As a believer, you have access to the power that comes through the Holy Spirit. And as a believer, you're a recipient of the power and promises of God through salvation. The mandate to be witnesses couldn't be stopped by the wishes of men. Verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, 
Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. They said, don't tell anybody else about what happened with this lame man. They said, well, if it's right for us to disobey God, you be the judge of it. Remember, these are the religious leaders. We're not asking, oh, oh, we would never ask you to disobey God. Well, that's what you're doing. Look, verse 24, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Remember Acts 1.8, but ye shall be witnesses unto me. That's what being a witness is, right? Speaking the things that you've heard and seen. He said, all, all we can do is what God has told us to do. All we can do is be a witness to what we've heard and seen. Are you a witness? What have you heard from God's Word? What have you seen God do? Are you a witness to that? It's not being a silent witness, right? It's all we can do is tell the things that we've heard and seen. Yes, I'm not trying to detract from living a life that points people to Jesus. But there's also a message that is spoken with your lips that is important to point people to Jesus. Don't let yourself fall into the trap of feeling like, well, I'm a pretty good witness because I just try to be nice to people and I don't say bad words at work. You shouldn't say bad words at work. I'm going to say, well, I don't want to cuss at church. You shouldn't cuss anywhere, okay? It's just simple. It's like saying, well, I don't want to smoke at church. Well, you shouldn't smoke anywhere. It just is not good. Are you a witness? Peter said, we cannot but speak. We can't help it. We have to speak what we've heard and what we've seen because God has commanded us to be witnesses for Him. So what did they do? Verse 21, so when they'd further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them. They couldn't figure out how to punish them. Why? Because of the people. So many people had seen the miracle. So many people had seen God work and said, we can't even punish these guys. They were afraid of what the people would do to them. Because ultimately, politicians are going to be concerned about the whims of people. That's what these Sanhedrin had become. They weren't really religious leaders anymore. They were politicians in the clothes of religious leaders. Oh, may God keep us from becoming politically correct Christians that are more concerned about what everyone else thinks instead of being concerned about what God thinks. These guys, they were worried about what the people would do to them, so they let Peter and John go. Now, we're glad Peter and John were let go. And it would be nice, right, in some case to say, well, and from here on out, it was smooth sailing for these guys, but that would not be true. Because all you got to do is go over one more chapter, and it wasn't just Peter and John that were arrested. It was all of the twelve. 
the persecution didn't stop. In fact, it only increased. The strength of your character is what it takes to stop you. So if it only takes a little thing to stop you, the devil's already done his work. If you press forward in the power of the Holy Spirit, by the promises of God through salvation, trusting in the power that God has to change lives, you will face more persecution. In fact, in Philippians, it tells us that it's given to us to suffer for Christ Jesus. Don't let it stop you, though. Be willing to persevere, to press forward, to continue on because we're doing it for Him. Don't be surprised when doing the right thing you experience challenges. Your plans are not all going to work out, neither are mine. <laughs> this past week, it was just like one thing after another. I spent all day Monday on the phone with the airline trying to figure out how I was going to get on the plane on Tuesday. I had a flight booked. They canceled it. They booked me on another flight. They canceled it. I, I spent hours trying to work all that out. Guess what? I didn't get to go at all. Was I frustrated? Yeah. God, what are you doing? Why are you changing my plans? My plans are good plans. God, why'd you flood my house? I had a good house. I liked where I lived. God, why do you take away things that are just comforts of life? You know, we weren't persecuted this week, but we did face some challenges. Maybe God's preparing us for persecution that may come. James says it this way, the trying of your faith worketh patience. And when patience right, has its perfect work, you can be perfect and entire wanting nothing. Are we able to go forward in the face of persecution? Not in our own strength. But I believe we can if we'll realize that all the power comes from God. God's promises are sure. And God can completely change your life and everybody else who will trust in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, I need you. We need you. Our city needs you. People today are busy trying to get their life back to normal. Lord, if we've learned anything over the past year, it's that living a life that is normal is not necessarily the life that you want us to live. Rather, you want us to live a life that's wholly given to you. May we persevere and press forward even in the face of challenges and persecution that come. Realizing that all of our power comes from you. Father, if there's somebody here today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Savior, I pray that today they would trust in you. Pray that you'd encourage each Christian here today to live for you, to be a bold witness 
and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray.